internet, the only stars that matter are those you see when you dream. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I once saw Glenn Close order a pineapple sandwich. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film. Always be my maybe. Uh, well, and uh, Matt, you are always my maybe. You are my backup plan if anything with my wife goes wrong. Same, you are the same. If uh, anything goes wrong with your wife, you are my backup plan. <laughs> I actually, I don't know, maybe this is too, TMI, but are you? I think you might be in my will. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, you should know that if you are. I mean, uh, that would uh, that would make sense, yeah. I would hope. We should uh, we should speak to our res- respective attorneys at this point. We sh- you have an attorney? Yeah, you don't have an attorney? I mean, yeah. Yeah? I got two attorneys. I every, well, you need to let me borrow one. <laughs> um, I got two attorneys, an accountant, and a microphone. Wow, wow. Uh, this is the the oldest uh, rap song, much like some of the songs in the movie we're going to be talking Bo- about. Yeah, the Beastie Boys' new track would definitely be I've Got Two Accountants and a Microphone. Well, actually, probably more like two attorneys and an HMO. Ah, uh, so, zing, dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> fill it up your ears. Dad joking it up with uh, uh, a lot of energy today, but I want to bring it back home to Always Be My Baby. And I was excited. Always to Be My Baby. We, you be messed my... it up. We, we both messed it up nine times No, now. no, I'm just going to go with Mariah Carey's song for okay. this one. Yeah. It's always be my baby, uh, because you are my baby. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? What is happening today? Um, I was excited to do this one because it's an Ali Wong joint, uh, and I was so uh, I was so sh- I, I I've been watching a lot of stand up specials on Netflix. Usually, yeah. that's stand up specials on Netflix are my go to when I. And like you know, I'm I'm trolling through Netflix to try and find something to watch, and I can't decide between three things. I will always go to like a stand-up special because it's like it's easy for me. You know, sure. I can totally watch it. Uh, that's how I discovered Ali Wong, uh, her stand-up special, Baby Cobra. I think so it was good. So, so good. good. She was fantastic. Uh, I think it was that it's that it's that combination of not only being a uh, a gifted uh, comedian, you know, writing funny jokes, that kind of thing, but also finding your niche. You know, like finding like just the special niche that was just unfilled you know like pregnant mom on stage you know talking about the asian american experience as well as being pregnant at the same time i just like that's so specific and so uh, i was just so excited to see that and then on top of that she's just hysterically funny um i i love and it was like something i was just able to share with my family right <laughs> you know of all things i was like hey you guys should check this out um so i was excited to see that she had written a film that would be on netflix and it was impossible you know like i don't like to watch trailers but it was impossible to to, to miss the one memeable moment uh from this movie which was everywhere uh, and that is the appearance, uh, the, the sort of cross-promotional appearance of one John Wick. Uh, that is true. <laughs> we are in a true keanu sense. Oh, um, my God. Did you saw the Cyberpunk trailer? Oh, yeah. And he presented at E3. Yeah, I saw. And he was breathtaking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're breathtaking. I got to say, I, I love the the keanu sense. Is that what we're calling the it? The keanu sense. The keanu sense. Uh, but the fall is going to be hard. I don't think there's going to be a fall. You don't fall. think there's going to be a fall? Nope. I hope there's not a fall. Knock on wood. But I'm just saying, we're, we're soaring so high on the fumes of Keanu's spiritual goodness right now. Let's just keep it rolling. I Let's mean, just keep it rolling. Matthew Why McC- stop? There's one good thing in the world right now. One. One. No, I think there are other good things. But Matthew McConaughey, well, his fall wasn't hard. It was just that he had a, he had a couple of flops eventually, well, right? Matthew McConaughey, I don't know. I don't think there was ever like this much like universal across multiple genre loves for Matthew McConaughey. People <laughs> thought he was funny. All right, all right, all right. But no, that's no, but, like... the, but then remember the whole True Detective thing um, and then Dallas Buyers Club and See, like there was the McConaughey Okay, here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. That's based on acting ability. <laughs> uh, Whoa, that's... This, this feels like it's going to be a backhanded... It's not a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but like no one was out there campaigning because Matthew McConaughey was a great dude. Uh, th- th- this is just like a pure, uh, beyond beyond the craft in which Keanu Reeves does, he- he's just now everywhere, and we've all agreed that he's our favorite. This uh, this may be the tipping point. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's get into that in a minute. I wanted to get to some emails and tweets that we've been getting this week. Uh, as always, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod, yes. as did Baby Dread. Before I get to Baby Dread, 
Dridd's tweet, I just want to say Baby Dridd has sent us an email that we cannot open. Really? Uh, yeah, it's almost like a Mission Impossible lockbox kind of scenario. <laughs> it is spoilers for the movie Brightburn, which oh. we have not, uh, I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen no, it? No, I did see that in the email uh, box, and I avoided it like the plague. Sorry, Baby Dread. Yeah, but uh, we will uh, hopefully, you know what, I feel like we missed the boat on Brightburn. I feel like it's yeah. come and gone pretty quickly. This is the season of movies that are coming and going pretty quickly. Uh, we both wanted to do Booksmart. It's getting a little harder to see. Yeah, you were uh, saying what, Midnight Showings in yeah, New York? It's re- uh, Booksmart has kind of got an interesting story about its release right now and the not controversy around it, but the, the conversation point about it. And right now, the only screenings of Booksmart are midnight. <laughs> uh, every insane. night at 11.35, Booksmart is playing at our local theater, which is just a difficult time. Is for it? Me to get, yeah. Uh, it's a difficult time for me to get to. I mean, I could do it. Yeah, I, I mean, not no, this it's week. A, no, you're, yeah. we're both screwed this week, but... Anyway, uh, Baby Dread wanted to email us in about John or tweet us about John Wick 3. And he, he I think it's a he, uh, says, I think I agree with you here for the most part on this one. I actually nodded off at some points during the movie. If you recall on our John Wick episode, I was uh, um, not so favorable on the film. I think I, I think the, the phrase that I used repeatedly was I felt that the, the violence had a deadening effect. No pun uh, intended. No, no. <laughs> uh, uh, but in this case, maybe a sleepening effect. Well, baby dread. I I apologize. Maybe you were maybe you were just really sleepy. I mean, you, you, being a dread baby has to literally be exhausting. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe that does, might does be. Dread have babies? I, I I don't know the personal uh, instances <laughs> of said person, but I'm I'm just trying to figure it out. But uh, and when he is a when he is a dad, does he say I am the dad? I, no. Like uh, there's like the law. Is that a judge dread joke? Is that a dre- oh that yeah. y- yes? I'm nodding in that sort of uh, in that way that uh, where where I realize my joke is this joke has gone on too long. I tried, <laughs> I tried to save it, but thank you, thank you, baby dread for writing in, even though you disagreed with me. Um, but that's cool. I don't think you disagreed with me. I think we just had different point. Like I wouldn't say we disagreed with each other. We just we just just genuinely had different opinions. About I was just saying that I disagreed with the uh, with I, which the with the point that baby dread was saying. That that he agreed with for the most part, which is about being a little bit bored or deadening or, or nodding off per se. Okay. Although I can't disagree can't if Baby Dread nodded, nodded off. off. No. But I the I, I bring I, it home. Bring it home. I'm sorry if he they did nod off. Okay. Because I was engaged literally uh twenty four eight. That's right. I added an extra day you because it for a whole day? how engaged I was. Okay. Uh thank you for your sleep apologia. Um next up is from Joey. Uh I feel like you should read this one. Joey! Because <laughs> I feel otherwise it's just gonna be me. Here we go, something. here we go. I'm a longtime listener, but first time writer. Joey, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I you, you always remember your first. Yeah, I love uh, LTLs. And FTM, FTWs. <laughs> I, I'm just going to keep reading <laughs> yeah, what yeah. Joey has to say. Uh, I'll start off by saying swiftly and unequivocally, I agree with Shahir <laughs> on John Wick 3. I, I thought the action was also deadening. Joey, we had such a, uh, uh, <laughs> we had such a moment of, of a rise of, of I could feel our friendship. And now, uh, now we're just back to, um, you know, basically uh, coworkers. Yeah. Um, on another note, I'd like to talk about where this falls falls on a textual level for me. John Wick 1 and 2 were both metaphorically similar to Greek mythology and tragedy. Very true, and I actually didn't realize that until uh, this very moment, because that is actually, I could 100% see that. Uh, to crib a little from uh, Mikey Newman, shout out Mikey Newman! Uh, the first movie was about uh, the boogeyman storming Mount Olympus to kill a god and uh, his son for their transgressions. And the second movie is John Wick's version of the Odyssey. He travels overseas to a faraway land uh, to end a war and struggles to make his way home. And he descends into the underworld where he meets uh, the Bowery King, or Hades, uh, and ends up and ends the movie earning the scorn of Zeus and kicked out of Mount Olympus. That all makes sense to me. Uh, the third movie seems to lose all the metaphors and this one, the ones that are still there seem to be confused. To me, the third movie seems to have transitioned from an epic action movie to a normal modern action movie. I disagree there. I can go into it in a minute when we finish. Uh, to me, it seems like if they were to stick with the metaphor, Winston would be the one John is running from this movie as he has been Zeus this whole time. Instead of Holly Berry's character just being another manager that has no connection to anyone else from the previous movies except John. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I actually watched the, the movies with Mikey 
the episode about John Wick after reading this email. Um, I think it's a. I'm not hard sold on the idea that it's a that it's a, an absolute Greek mythology. I think that you can read it that way. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not entirely convinced that the movie kind of does that. Which which means for me, uh, I don't. Uh, the the loss of metaphor by the third film isn't too big a deal because I, I think it's kind of yeah. just loose anyway. I think it's a happy cultural accident. Like yeah. I think the I think the these myths have pervaded themselves so deeply into our narrative self subconscious that most of our stories kind of are those stories. Yeah. And when you make it a, a big battle type thing, it's also very easy to to maneuver your thoughts into that. And now I'm getting want to watch John Wick one again and sort of track that a little bit more. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, Joey, A, thank you so much for writing in, even though uh, now we just have to be acquaintances. Uh, no, we can be friends. We can be online friends, Joey. The, uh, but secondly, uh, I do agree that with the, with the increasingness of, of the chaos of the John Wick universe, mm -hmm. uh, it has lost what all stories kind of lose once you get the, the the mystique is lifted when you start explaining things. And if you start explaining too many things too quickly, uh, some of the magic can go away. And while I don't think the magic ever, is ever lost in the action scenes like we just discussed, uh, I do think some of the mystique is now, uh, you know, has, has risen away, the fog has lifted, and we can kind of see what it is, which for me is just sort of a badass fight scene collection uh, with John Wick, Holly Berry, and two awesome dogs. Yeah, dogs. Dogs. Who let them out? The big uh, band dudes. Uh, you can go back and listen to our John Wick uh, uh, three episode where uh, you'll hear me not quite agree on that, but I don't want to cover that on this episode. Uh, Jacob also emailed us in. Uh, Jacob also wrote us a nice review on iTunes. Uh, we'll uh, read that out next week, probably. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, but I heard. Oh, and also, just by the way, uh, I just want to say this: uh, Jacob has his own podcast called Movie Emotions. Yeah. M-O-V-I Emotion. Uh, it's very good. I listened to a couple of episodes. Uh, they've got re he's got really, really short chunks, uh, short films and uh, uh, short discussions of films, plus a couple of longer episodes. I think his longer ep longest episode is on Avengers Endgame, just like everybody else. What? Um, uh, but they're really, uh, it's it, I, I love them because they're solo, uh, for the most part, solo episodes, not conversation. So it's just one person kind of writing their thoughts out really well and succinctly into a single into a single episode. And I think that's great. Also, I mean, do I smell multiverse crossover? Ooh. I I don't know. Hit us up, Jacob. Um, but Jacob did hit us up on the film See You Yesterday, which we reviewed last week. Uh, uh, I went in blind, and then I stopped at the 28-minute mark. Then I listened to a non-spoiler non section of your podcast once I came out and was convinced to jump back in to finish the <laughs> film. After doing so, I was not impressed. That was a roller coaster, right? It ride. was a roller coaster. I stopped watching because... I lost trust in the film. And I lost trust for a couple of reasons. But the first was because the way the plot seemed to be driven. The characters keep having uh, to say things that were fairly bland to handhold the audience to the logic of leading to the next scene. I don't think these moments were necessary, and it made the, me feel like the filmmakers didn't trust what they had set up. Now, if this type of camp of and hand-holding is what you think you have to do uh, if you're making a movie and you want to appeal to a wide audience age group and tackle some serious subject matter at the same time, I would put forth Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as a counterexample. Uh, maybe it means to take on such a juggernaut, but hey, that's what I got. Uh, and I definitely agree on the films with, uh, uh, differ agree that films with this subject matter, police violence, black lives, are important to make, and it is very cool to see one made with the uh, inventive metaphorical conceit of time travel. For me, though, that feeling of disingenuous camp and not trusting their own plot bled into the muddle um, and just muddled up that potential coolness. There's a little bit more to this email that I'll read in a second. I just want to ju jump back to you, Matt, if you had any response to that, uh, uh, any thoughts on that. I mean, I, we kind of covered most of it in the, in the episode. Go back and check out our uh, See You Yesterday uh, review last week. But I will say there's we, 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 we trim these emails from time to time. There's one thing that we cut out of here. Uh, it, it was one of the um, the techno babble parts that um, that Jacob had mentioned was inconsistent because there was a part, it was just like a throwaway line, where uh, uh, the girl uh, is fixing the grandmother's uh, computer and she's listing all the things she did to it. Yeah. And one of them was replace your optical drive with an SSD. And Jacob called that out as as not the right techno babble. And I disagree, Jacob. In 2019, you better get rid of your optical drives and throw in SSDs. Otherwise, you're not using CDs or DVDs. You just need more storage space. So she did her grandmother a favor. 
You just got uh, super nerdy there, but uh, that's cool. Um, Love you, Jacob. <laughs> uh, Jacob also mentioned, because uh, we had a conversation in CU uh, yesterday about open endings. Uh, and uh, for Jacob, an open ending that works was first reformed. An open ending that doesn't work was burning. But an open ending that didn't work but worked after I listened to your podcast was burning. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for that, Jacob. I have seen First Reformed, uh, the Paul Schrader film. I really adored it. I think it's a great example of an opening oh. film. Um, and uh, man, I wish we could talk about that movie. That, that, that film has got so much to talk about, not least of which a great performance from Ethan Hawke. Uh, but moving on to Always Be My Maybe. I thought that they actually got the Mariah song and change the word, but they don't. Your brain just tricks you when you hear the song and see the title. Oh, okay. it never says uh, "always be my maybe" in the verses. It's always "baby," but like in my head, I was why like, would, "Why would they change it?" Because it's the. Th- I mean, that'd be it would be the title of the song. You yeah. know, like so, like in John Wick, they should have a song saying "John Wick." Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna <laughs> name your song after if you're gonna name your movie after a song, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny is I just watched um, the film. Um, oh, boy. Oklahoma. No, not Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, it, it, oh, geez. Now I've gone blank on the name. It's Uh-oh. a... Uh, Uh-oh. A, oh, and it, it, it had such a thing about Bob Dylan. It must have really stuck with you. Oh. It must have been a Life trans- itself. There Life itself. Go. I just watched the th- uh, Life itself, which I thought was actually... Uh, which was really critically panned last year. It just had such a huge backlash on Twitter, on Rotten Tomatoes as like one of the worst movies ever. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I think there's problems with it, definitely. But one of the biggest problems of it was they have this long conversation about Bob Dylan's music. And then at the finale, where it was like, oh, this is where we're going to hear Bob Dylan's music kind of played through. Uh, they don't have it. And I was like, oh, this seems strange. Like, it, the, the discussion of uh, a particular Bob Dylan song is like the thread that connects the entire film, which runs through generations and through co- different countries. And then to not have it at the end and to, and, and to not have it and to just only have like the most blandest music library music music song to kind of tie all these characters together was just like ooh worst open ending <laughs> ever yeah um i i never got confused by the title of always be my maybe by the way i i was never confused by it i just thought that maybe they would shift it or i've been saying it wrong cuz you say it in, in casual conversation we're so used to the Mariah Carey track that it you i have have you ever heard, can we think of an example write us in at onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com where they've taken a, an existing sound uh, an uh, existing song. song, and changed it for the movie. Oh no, never! I just, I, uh, I, yeah. just, I just, I, my brain did it for them. So <laughs> okay. you're welcome, production company. <laughs> um, again, yes, was very excited to see this, but not the other reason uh, for for wanting to do this, other than uh, being excited by Ali Wong uh, and the accessibility factor of not playing at midnight at uh, at the movie theaters, was the fact that uh, I went back and like looked at our our 219 episodes. Or you listened to all of them? I listened to every single one in one night. No, I, I just went back and looked at the titles, uh, and we have done very few romantic comedies. I, it's probably our least, maybe beyond Western, if Western is even still a genre. Uh, Western is still we've a done. genre, but uh, it is it is the certainly one of the smallest genres we've done. I, I struggled to find, um, I mean, I think the most notable one we did was The Big Sick. Yes. Th- that's probably the romantic comedy that we've done. There are other ones that kind of fit into the genre. Of romantic comedy, but not quite. Uh, films like La La Land, for example, which is more of a musical, you know, musical slash yeah. romantic comedy. Beauty and the Beast, which is kind of a, you know, kind of, yeah, it's, no. it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think yep. you could get there. A Star is Born, which is not a comedy, but is a romantic film. Yeah, you're far uh, from the shallows. Yeah, now. yeah. Tramps, uh, which, uh, you know, could get, uh, could, 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 could dark get comedy, romantic e- dark comedy. Either way, Phantom Thread, which, you know, I think is pretty funny. But Just a... <laughs> Um, and, uh, but, but anyway, when I took, I, if I added in just those numbers together, just the, just the, what I think could, could kind of fall in, I, we've, we've done less than 4% of our, of our output has been on romantic or romantic, uh, comedy. Did you hear that listeners? Shahir loves you so much. He did math. I did the math, which is I divided two numbers and multiplied them by a hundred. Um, and then this kind of got me thinking, uh, spinning down a rabbit hole about romantic comedies because I love Romantic comedies. I love romantic films. I love films about two people coming together. They just something about it. With if you get the right one, it gets me. It, it, it's something I'm always got time for. Well, there's something interesting about the genre, and I think more than any other genre, you can get away with unironically enjoying a mediocre romantic comedy if the chemistry of the two people 
is good enough. And I have the perfect example for that, which is a film that I don't think is great, but I just love it unabashedly to the point where I had to find it on eBay and buy uh, buy a Blu-ray copy of it just because I wanted to see sure. it. Sure. Uh, and that is One Fine Day uh, with um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney. Oh, wow. I just love the chemistry between those two people in that movie, and I love the 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 coming together of those two people in that movie. So I I love romantic comedies. I kind of uh, had a, a little bit of a breakdown in terms of thinking about what are my favorite romantic comedies. But I wanted to throw that question to you. What are the, I mean? Is it a genre you kind of think about or 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 are interested in? Or well, know? I think yes, but less so these days because it's kind of dying. Hmm. Uh, crazy rich Asians would disagree, but well, crazy yeah. But now look at name another one uh, from the last year, the Big Sick. Okay, name three of them. Uh, I'm, I'm saying before it seemed like it, it was sort of like a bit of a Hollywood bread and butter, like you'd have at least like four or five a year, like major ones. And it seems like now we get little ones, or they're interspersed. Like for instance, The Big Sick uh, it has a has a pretty intense and I think awesome drama part to it. Um, it that's not to say romantic comedies can't be of course not. Kind of drama. But, but there's also sort of like the two kinds. There's sort of like the real, like I'll call it the realistic ones, and the uh, more grounded or more like like hardcore emotional based ones. Um, but like, for instance, like if you look at, uh, like the wedding singer, the wedding singer is one of my favorites from forever ago, but that is like borderline cartoony because okay. it's Adam Sandler and that's what you're going for. Like, et cetera. Like it's not, it's but definitely it not, a romantic comedy. It's a romantic yeah. comedy, but it's a different feeling romantic comedy than say the big sick or, or always be my maybe. I think wedding singer is probably in line closer to something like this, something about Mary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you could also still, and like still... also I think I gravitate more towards the the slapsticky ones. Yeah. Um although there's there's one that I feel like kind of borders a lot of these for me. It was kind of like my touch point of of like what's my perfect romantic comedy mm-hmm. for my sensibilities. And I think that's forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um that film <laughs> Uh, what was the Dracula puppet show? Yeah, 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 yeah. Puppets? yeah. Um, <laughs> that thing just balanced so much uh, of what I want romantic comedies to be, both just like uh, entertaining setups, good locales, chemistry between people, multiple people if possible, um, uh, fun and not forgettable supporting characters. I think a lot of times in romantic comedies, like the the friends or like the people like sort of surrounding the two or whatever love interests uh, kind of fall by the wayside and are very... Um, not serviced, I guess we'd say, uh, with the time that they are allotted. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's my favorite one that I can think of. That reminded me that uh, Seth Rogen had a romantic comedy that came out this year called Longshot, which we didn't review. Yep. Um, uh, starring him. He also did Knocked Up. Yeah, did Knocked Up. Um, and so uh, the for me, uh, I think my favorite uh, that kind of speaks to my sensibilities, which you'll probably kind of uh, question about, is uh, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love is kind of my favorite romantic. No, that comedy. makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think I love that movie kind of unabashedly, and it's it's the 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 reason I love it is the feeling I get when I leave the theater when I watch that movie, and it's, it's the feeling I get every time I watch that movie, which is this this kind of like floating on air happiness that two people kind of found each other. Um, I think one thing that we have uh, one thing about romantic comedies right now is that they're making an entire resurgence on on Netflix. Netflix is and and particularly with Noah Centineo, um, right? It, it's this, it's this thing. Like you know, it's uh, the the film that I'm obviously thinking about is um, uh, to all the boys I've loved before with Noah Centineo, and I think the, he's got a new one called The Perfect Date. Do, do you know Noah Centineo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's going to be He Man. The interesting thing, though, uh, and I cannot wait to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing to me, is, well, it's not interesting. It's just sort of a fact. Like, why are we seeing a resurgence on streaming services? And and like for instance, and I'll even go one step lower. Uh, I like the Hallmark Channel has a ton of romantic comedies, mm-hmm. uh, but the reason we're seeing it is because it's the cheapest type of film to be done uh, effectively, and by effectively I mean for the audience it's aimed at to enjoy it. Right. Uh, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I uh, I mean, listen, my one of my favorite mediums, comic books, came from literally the fact that it's the cheapest thing to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, I just find it interesting that like it, so uh, Netflix, perfect mm-hmm. example. Stand-up specials, rom-coms seem to be the things that they're doing. Now, granted, they're not hurting for money, but at the same time, you can produce a lot more of those than, say, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of Romas. Or uh, or Cloverfield Paradox. Well, oh, they <laughs> bought that one. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they really bought they that really one. They really bought, bought that, that one. one. Um, whap, whap. 
Um, so I uh, put it out to Twitter as well um, as to people's favorite romantic comedies. And uh, a couple of the usual suspects came in. Jenny Bass said, I adored Crazy Rich Asians from last year. Such a fun delight that warmed my heart. Uh, Driven by Tatiana said, I do love When Harry Met Sally. Classic. And uh, Baby Dread tuned in, which was uh, with, I was actually pretty surprised that I ended up enjoying Man Up, a Simon Pig romantic comedy. This is the thing about romantic comedies, I think, as well, is that you can find the 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 fairly unseen ones, like my One Fine Day, for yeah. example, that, that just speak to you. I want and, to see that Simon Pegg one. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, th- uh, just another side note as well is that he- romantic comedies tend to be heteronormative for the most part. It's very hard to find romantic yeah. comedies that are gay. Um, the the one that we we didn't review last year, but I heard really great things about was Love Simon, um, which I think we should check out at some point or talk about at some point. But going back to Jenny Bus's one, the th- the juggernaut that kind of changed the game as far as romantic comedies goes in the last year, um, not not least of which because it was based on a popular novel, is Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. Uh, and the argument that uh, I believe Jin Jiang made for uh, Newsweek is that uh, Always Be My Maybe uh, walks through the door that Crazy Rich Asians opened. Crazy Rich Asians uh, made a ton of money last year. I think it was one of the highest grossing films yeah. of the last year. Um have you seen it? I have seen it. I have as well. We yeah. didn't get a chance to review it because it just it kind of flew us by as, as things were going on. Yeah. But the the I enjoy the hell out of that movie. It's super fun. It has all of the highs and lows, and I will say that both in emotional and sort of in like silliness uh, that rom coms are supposed to have. It knows it. It falls into the category for me of knowing exactly what it is and performing at what that is at sort of one of the highest levels. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's very well made. Yeah, very very well made. Uh, uh, made by John Shu. Um, I think it has one of the uh, one probably one of the most magical moments I think I'd seen in a oh, movie. Oh, the wedding scene. The wedding. Yeah, and it's the early wedding scene. Yeah. Right, with the, no, no, it's not that. Or it's like mid love. It's yeah, mid. but but not the the final not the final, final wedding, wedding scene, scene. But the mid level wedding scene, which doesn't even. Isn't even about our two central characters, no. but it has this beautiful wedding where you're like, "Oh, that's what a wedding could feel like." Yeah. And it was really, really lovely. Yeah, uh, I don't absolutely love that film. I think it didn't quite work for me um, for a couple of reasons. Wait, what? But, uh, it, it really didn't. Um, we, I, are you dead inside? I, I, uh, I have specific reasons about that. I think, I think there's one. I, I don't want to spoil Crazy Rich Asians. There's, there's one part of that movie that really works for me um, that I think is great. I think for the most part. Stuff around the central couple didn't work for me. Bodie, yo. Uh, um, we, maybe we should go back and do a Crazy Rich Asians episode. Maybe, well, there'll be a sequel coming up eventually, so we could uh, oh, we could double, do double that. feature. Uh, but Matt, can you tell us what the plot of Always Be My Mubby is about? Uh, wow, well, <laughs> thanks, Bubby. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can. Now, listen, I want you to brace yourselves because IMDb went above and beyond in their description of this film. It gets real deep and kind of into the weeds, so I really <laughs> just want you just uh, if you need to get a <laughs> beverage, now would be the time. Just sit back, relax. Here we go. A pair of childhood friends end up falling for each other when they grow up. True. <laughs> True. Not wrong. Yep. Two chains on that one. True. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's what happens in yeah. the movie. Um, yeah, what do we got? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I. Uh, so we, we, we've established that we have, well, I have a particular affection for romantic comedies. Uh, I like them. Uh, you didn't like Crazy Rich Asians, you monster. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, you're right. Um, and and we haven't talked a lot about them on this on this podcast. But I I was I'm very curious what your thoughts are on this movie because it is it's got 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So here's it's, the deal: it's reviewing very very well. I was poisoned by a friend of ours, oh uh, Esther Park, who was on uh, our mm. um. What's it called? What was it? Triple uh, X? Yeah. And uh, The hand, Handmaid? Handmaid? Handmaid's Tale. Ha- uh, no, not, not Handmaid's Tale. Tale. The Handmaid. The Handmaid. Yeah. Uh, uh, had tweeted out about this movie saying that they were very disappointed in it. <laughs> and I was like, or like that they wanted to like it real bad, and then they did. I forget what the exact tweet is. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay. And then you said you wanted to do it, and I kind of had like a bad taste in my mouth about it, and I was like, all right, yeah. fine. I mean, I just because someone says a movie's bad doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It was a compelling tweet. I know. <laughs> I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, we're doing it right now. Yeah. And then I watched it, and uh, <laughs> it checked <laughs> all the boxes <laughs> it needed to for me. Okay. That's not a rave review, mind you, but like I didn't hate my time watching it. I laughed a bunch. Uh, I think the chemistry between uh, Randall Park and um, Ali Wong are 
it's great. I think they they connect really well, and they have a they have a history. They went to UCLA, well, not at the same time, but they uh, they were in part of the same sort of Asian American comedy and drama group. I think it was they were part of UCB, right? Uh, I don't know. They they was it was over at UCLA, and yeah. um, uh, I think like they met at like a post, like it was like a, a cook off thing or something, and they met even though uh, Randall was out of was out of the school already and they like <laughs> became good friends and then they you know they've known each other for a while and they've always wanted a project to work on together and I think actually Randall reached out to Allie and was like oh uh, can you write me this romantic comedy uh, you know this Asian American romantic comedy and Allie was in some interview saying like oh well she thought like that he meant like for him and someone else right uh, because that's what happens and she's a writer and you know whatever and then uh, that was not the case they wanted to do it together and like they made this movie and it's just nice because like I like the story of two friends getting to make a fun movie for Netflix. Yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, the 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 film itself, I think, is good. <laughs> and by that I mean, I'm I'm just I'm snickering because I feel like there's a big butt. oh there's a, there, oh there's a huge butt. I got a huge butt I'm sitting on. Yeah. Um, like I like the characters and I like the situations <laughs> and I liked some of the jokes. Um, however, the execution of how the film is made was a blaring zoe even agrees i don't know if you can hear zoe in the background was just sort of uh, it was constantly pulling me out of whatever magic it was trying to weave like crazy rich asians you know going back and forth obviously had a way bigger production budget but like i never felt like the movie making itself was throwing me off it was only enhancing the experience this uh shots and cuts and and some structure elements felt incredibly just benign to me mm-hmm. uh and that's what kept getting me back and it would take like a funny one-liner or a recurrence of a character or something to like get me even remotely back into it and i will say that when it hit it's like and i'll get into this a little bit later but when it hit it's like peak rom-com moments and that's you know when when someone's yelling a monologue at you in a rom-com mm-hmm. I think this one has some of the, the the best. I think Ali Wong delivers one of the best uh, sort of ones of those speeches, and and the sentiment behind her character. Can you tell me which one? It's the one when she's leaving and he's on the balcony. It's about two thirds through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reverse Romeo and Juliet. Um, but like, yeah, it it just felt it it felt updated and it felt real in those in those particular moments. However, the structure, the, the house that is built, and the foundation for all of these things. Uh, really was shaky and made me uh, made me duck out uh, emotionally from time to time. Yeah, so I will say this. Um, shout out to Ista, Ista Park um, uh, for for sort of uh, tweeting the initial thoughts. Uh, I kind of have to agree, which is that uh, the movie really didn't work for me um, very much at all. There were a couple of moments that I thought like channeled the feeling that I'm looking for when I go to a romantic comedy. There are a couple of moments that warmed the cockles of my heart. Uh, but for the most part, the, 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 two, the two key factors that you're looking for, which is romance and comedy, uh, were not as evident uh, as I kind of would have hoped. I felt... Um, I, and I think the, the 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 phrasing you're kind of using here is the direction is fairly pedestrian. Uh, it feels fairly... Um, in a way, and this is not a pejorative term, but but maybe just a sort of clinical definition of what it is you might be looking at is something felt very made for TV. Yes. In a way, as opposed to made felt for like the, a Hallmark movie. Yeah, but, but made for the big screen. You know, uh, it was just it 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 didn't land for me in any of the ways that I kind of hoped it would with with seeing what Ali Wong could do on stage uh, with, you know, like translating her real life experiences into comedy. Um, I, I, the the writing in this is fairly, uh, fairly atypical. There, again, there are moments of, of quite beautiful sentiment uh, and, uh, and the, the sort of the, you know, just by the by the, the, the notion of an Asian American lead romantic comedy with two Asian American leads, I think is, is profoundly wonderful. And, you know, as that Newsweek article kind of mentioned, uh, the, the fact that it kind of walks through the door that crazy rich Asians opened is, is great. Um, but as a film on its own feet, uh, I didn't particularly connect with it, uh, very strongly. Uh, I think there was a sort of an overall kind of 
clumsiness to to the interactions that were happening where the writing kind of felt very rushed and without like a real sense of characterization that that make, could make it feel rich um and, crazy rich yeah crazy rich <laughs> oh, oh i see what you did there uh the uh and, and that was unfortunate because i i think there were moments that uh, i that could have transcended here. And I, you know, like obviously I, uh, if you go back to listen to our review of the big sick, I didn't quite connect with the big sick either, but I felt that that was very sincere and true and lived in and, and really worked, you know, like it actually fundamentally worked as a movie and worked, um, to, to kind of connect in the way with the audience that I think it was intended to do. Whereas I, I just, I, there was, you know, and it comes down to a lot, there's a lot of factors in this. One is that this is, Aside from being a, a story of these two friends that grew up together, uh, you know, as neighbors, uh, as sharing the Asian American experience together, uh, and then kind of separated in, in adult life and then come back together again, like for example, Ali Wong's character is supposed to be a, a renowned chef, and I never really felt the authenticity of that. I think the film talks about food a lot, but we never get to see. Uh, you know, Ali sure. Wong's character being... But that's not the point. I mean, no, how, no, many, but, but how like, many rom-coms but, no, but are here, there? The point of that is, is that that gives you the sort of authentic, authenticity to the character and allows you to kind of, allows you to be in their world and in their headspace so that when they do connect with this other person, you have a sense of who they are. And the problem that I have is I don't get a real clear sense of who they are. I think Randall Park's character was was handled a little bit better with his band, Hello Peril, yeah. uh, which I really liked. Uh, good play on the word Yellow Peril. Um, and and I think, you know, like his narrative about what he does and who he comes from was kind of handled a little better, but Ali Wong's character is kind of the heart of the movie. I don't and, know. I, at the same time, like, yes, there there's not a lot of food interaction or like setting up of that world. I, I understand and agree but but there is character development in the sense of in the beginning when you see her young and her parents are not home and she has to make her own dinner and mm. she she basically makes spam and rice with them i forget what that seaweed uh, seasoning is yeah it's a salt seaweed uh, yeah um which apparently again in the in the article i read like apparently that's like a, a, a huge Stock thing staple yeah. yeah and like i didn't know that while yeah. i was watching it so it's always interesting when you get the the the, the cultural touch points but like that to me showed because I wasn't getting the cultural touch points. I was like, "Oh, this little girl likes cooking, or like it like likes because it was like the presentation of it. Like it wasn't just like what I do, which is slopping three different pieces of food onto a plate at the end yeah. of the night. Like there was preparation, and she put like a little umbrella in it, and, like, and it like it looked nice, even though it was spam and rice. Right. And so that to me got that was like I was like, "Oh, she's a cook, and or she she enjoys presentation or aesthetic is important to her." And then her character throughout. I mean, even I don't think like the actual chefing, if we want to call it that, was handled well. But the but that that thought process of her, for instance, like always being the right amount of like put together, like her glasses were super stylish. Like yeah, it, she all looks felt, great. it all felt very like real to that character. Now, granted, mm. do I think the character is presented, any character in this movie is presented as deep? No, but most, most rom-coms uh, I would argue, uh, or not most, but they don't have to be super deep characters. Here's a, here's an example that I'm just going to pull just up just to, you know, bring up that point, which is that in uh, Bridesmaids, do you remember Bridesmaids? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Kristen Wiig character. Kristen Wiig's character wants to be a um, a baker, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this beautiful montage in the middle of that movie where we see the her like her love and care for making cupcakes. It's, it's it lasts a few minutes. It's got nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but we kind of get a sense of who this person is and what she does. And all I'm saying is is that the foundational the thing that i kind of was missing a little bit in this film is just connecting this idea that she is this great and wonderful chef that you know like has this kind of inner life that has you know that 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 isn't just talked about and and all i'm saying is is that for me part of that you know part of that as an example is an example of how the writing kind of feels a little rushed and, oh i 100% and, agree and, with and that surface level and it, and and like and not with a kind of clarity of voice to kind of get me there and i think in 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 really great romantic comedy is in really great writing in general um the idea that characters have this inner life sort of seems to work a little bit more and i kind of felt that the i think you know if you were to kind of describe it as a as an exercise in general most of the scenes 
felt like written scenes where actors were playing them oh, as opposed to yeah. seeing the inner lives of these two characters. Here's what I think is the this is what I think the majority of my point, uh, both for and against this movie is. Mm-hmm. We, and we're going to get into a classic Matt and Shahir back and forth. All right, let's get up for semantics. Uh, this mo- like where this movie sits with its uh, barrier to entry, its pedigree, and and its uh, genre mm-hmm. for me. It doesn't have a high bar to clear. Hmm. Uh, what does that mean? And that means, like, I, you're 100% right. Like, could they have done... A, I'm going to call that sort of the flavor text of the film. Meaning, like, setting up, like, the Kristen Wiig moment there. Or the, in, there's many moments in Forgetting Sarah Marshall where you kind of learn about the characters through, like, little side stories. Whether it be Aldous Snow's music videos or uh, either... <laughs> or, like, the breakdown of... Um, That's a great example. Yeah. yeah. You know, Puppet Dracula. Yeah, yeah. A great so, example. like, the stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and they use that not only in to, to flesh out the characters, but also to actually further the plot along, which is also the best. Something that we're, like now the opposite of that is things that this movie did. For instance, there's a part where um, uh, Marcus, played by Randall Park's dad, who is a delight in this film. Uh, I want to see if I can find that actor's name because he was he was one of my favorite parts. Um, basically, uh, James Sato. Is it James Sato? Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, there's a part where there's a uh, randomly a Diana Ross impersonator at a child's birthday party because that's wacky uh, and it was quote cheaper than Beyonce um, and then there's a moment where like he kind of hits on her and then later on there's a callback to like her dating the father and like that feels to me like the cliff notes quick we saw sort of callback like this work in other films version of like a a callback joke or something to help build the world it doesn't because of what you said you hear case in point it this feels like scenes written for actors to do in a movie right and and the the thing was there is that you could see that the the revelation that he ends up with diana ross a mile away yeah 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 yeah. uh here's the kicker I don't care. I'm I was involved with this movie for exactly what I wanted it to be and that is a silly throwaway rom-com that I uh didn't dislike and I enjoyed my sort of hour and a half watching it. Like I the interesting part too is like would I have ever really discussed this film with someone outside of this podcast? No. But I go back to my original argument a couple times on this show where I'm like not all movies need to be that. I wanted as when I watched this is like I want a rom-com escape. And it gave me a rom-com escape. Now, granted, did it try to buck me off a lot with some of the production value? You bet it's sweet behind it did. But uh, I was overall fine with it. And I was like, yes, for the barrier of entry and and what I was expecting of this film, I am glad to see that this film existed and I enjoyed my time enough watching it. Hmm. It seems like such a low bar that it's almost insulting to the movie. I don't think it is. Because you're basically saying you didn't care if the movie was any good. No, no, no. If it was bad, I would have not liked the movie. I'm saying. So you don't think it was bad? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I think it was exactly what it promised me it was. Okay. I saw the trailer, I saw the things, and it, it, it reached those moments for me, and I was like, cool. There were some moments I thought, and again, they're completely outside of the realm of what the plot of the film is about, but like the Keanu Reeves sections are, I think, legit hilarious. Like, I, well, you know what's so funny is that I. They didn't land for me. Uh, really didn't land for me. I really wanted them to land. Uh, there was something like that punch, yeah. Uh, which it, and then they started doing like missed punches, and I was like, "Oh, is this part of the gag?" Or because they're also they're taking the punch as well. Um, there was something about that moment that felt very "Hey, we got Keanu Reeves" kind of thing, as opposed to "Hey, this is our." I mean, I kind I kind of took that as the part of the joke. Yeah, I guess, and this is one of those moments. I guess you know, like I. I think it would work better if you if I didn't know it was coming, um, and I really kind of got to live in it a little bit more. But sure. I, I I just it wasn't that experience for me, and I think the, the problem is the whole movie was that experience for me, which is that I wasn't really in the moments with these with any anything that happened. I think the things like there, there are a couple of things that really worked for me. One is um, the reveal of the restaurant at the at the end. This is a spoiler. Obviously, we're getting into spoilers. Oh, we're getting into spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the reveal of the restaurant at the end, I thought was very touching. Um, very beautiful. The reveal that she was going to name the restaurant and, and make the dishes that his mother made. I thought it was very beautiful, very lovely, touching, uh, good moment. Uh, and and then the other moment was um, uh, Hello Peril. I thought Hello Peril is one of those great examples of... It was very uh, fun. Uh, of fun and also like 
you you know it's that thing where like everyone in the film loves the artistry of some of of someone else and and there's this thing where you're kind of like oh am i gonna see it am i gonna love it like everyone else in the film does and i kind of did like you kind of i enjoyed his performances i enjoy and i was like i think this is a cool band Sure. You know what I mean? Um, I think that what I we, we we talk a lot about on the show too of sort of like I'd rather see something exist and sort of uh, try than not exist. Does that make? We've talked about that like in films that like are trying. I mean, granted, we're talking about sort of like more in those contexts, like cinematic like attempts at doing something like no one has done before, right? right. The, in this case, like. You know, I to go back to the you know apparently, and I, I'm saying this because apparently Hollywood still needs to be fucking told this. But like Crazy Rich Asians proved that an all Asian cast can be, make you a shit ton of money, right? Outside of uh, it, or in America, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that door, as you've sort of said, being blown open. I I want to see more representation in all of the types of movies I watch, whether it be the uh, you know superhero epics or intense dramas or you know baseline romantic comedies and like that's that that's what i like i like that and this had enough a charisma of the the two leads and b callbacks to sort of important things that i both got and some of them i apparently didn't get but that's just a cultural difference okay yeah. um like for instance again i think that the um the stuff i was going to bring it up but you did too the end restaurant i yeah. think the end restaurant's a great example now Back to even one of your original points, would I have liked to see a little more uh, character development and setup in that world? Do I think that I would have had a stronger attachment with the film uh, in that moment might have landed slightly better had more and more of those things been uh, present? Yes. But at the same time... I, but I think but is it just I think what you're saying is if they'd been well-developed. If, right? if they'd been developed a little more, it would have it would have it would have been a film that stuck with me more like a forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay. But the but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I got exactly what I wanted from a Netflix romantic comedy. Like, I, I know that might sound divisive. It, it, it does. But it, like, I, but that, but it's not because I got what I wanted from it. Right. It didn't, it never lied to me. This film never lied to me. And <laughs> I always appreciate that because films lie to us. You, you, your heart has been broken one too many times. I, I've been hurt before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess my only point there is that is um, I think I hear and see what you're saying in terms of, in terms of representation. But I think, to me, I guess that bar is an obvious one, and so it, that's got very little to do with the movie. Although, although that is kind of important because you know, like as we said, there's not many romantic comedies with two Asian American leads in the film, and also representing um, you know uh, experiences that are kind of somewhat familiar to me, um, and and you know like uh, that that have that sort of air of authenticity of stories that haven't been brought to the screen before. And in this particular case, specific Asian American uh, experiences that were not in other like in Crazy Rich Asians, which is our only the only other yeah. large touch point we have. Like yeah. these are different characters than that in different roles and experiences in life situations. Okay, so I agree I agree with that point. I guess the point I and, and this is funny there's an article in the New York Times recently uh, about Booksmart uh, which I kind of wanted to bring up when we talk about Booksmart. Um, but the That would make sense. That would make sense. But the the article was kind of pointing to this idea that like are female lead uh, female directed films allowed to fail? Um, you know, like, are we, do we put too much emphasis on needing them to succeed in order to break a barrier? Interesting. Um, as opposed to just like having the there be a swath of mediocre films, like they are, like like male driven. You know, like there's, there's a, a lot of mediocre there's male a lot films. Of male, you know, and I think that, that that that's an interesting point, and I think this to me falls more into that category of being somewhat average and yeah. and 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 you know not being something to to for me to be particularly excited about and, and that's and that in itself is the baseline is fine but the problem beyond that is i think on the on the sort of level of does it even successfully work as a romantic comedy do i care when these two people come together by the very end do i feel the sort of warmth and kind of joy at that or even even any sort of surprise at that you know like i i like you know, like in one fine day, there's no surprise when those two characters. Yeah, come well, together. there's never a surprise. But it, but it warms my heart when it happens. And, this warms and, my heart when it, it happened. It, really? Yeah, with the restaurant and like them. But like the restaurant, the restaurant to me hasn't has hasn't got much to do with 
those two people coming together. It's just what? A nice, it's a nice gesture from her. You cold-hearted to, bastard. But I don't. I like to to me the moment that's that's supposed to do that is when he turns up at the opening and like you know that was uh, a great speech. That was a great rom-com speech, oh, and that warmed the cockles that, I of my heart. That was rough, and it was character appropriate. <laughs> I was rough. Well, his but, character was rough. Like, no, no, no. The the the, 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 char- the 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 speech was rough for me, and I was like, I I just wasn't there. Uh, I wasn't there when those two characters. They each get one they, good rom com speech. They're they're very charismatic actors. They're you know I I like them together. I kind of you know th- there's a thing in I think maybe in Seth Rogen movies in, in Knocked Up and uh, I haven't seen Longshot but uh, probably in the Forty Year Old Virgin as well which I he was in but um, it's more of a Judd Apatow joint. Is that with actors that are of this kind of level of comedic sensibilities? There's a sort of space for them to kind of. Breathe like Jason Segel in um, in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Kind of there's there's moments in that film where you're just kind of letting that character really let loose and breathe. Yeah. Even Bridesmaid, Melissa McCarthy's yep. character, Kirsten Wiig. I didn't feel. I, I wondered if that was a way to kind of endear. You know, like just seeing these two characters together, kind of having big moments where they were like trying to one up each other comedically. I didn't really feel that they were kind of getting there, and it, it just there was a sense of being rushed and not quite, you know, like and I and, and I think it has to do with the execution of it as well. Well, I think it's yeah, yeah that's, you know, I, like it just doesn't have that sort of space for us to kind of really invest in it. I think there's a for me, you know, like the the cooking thing is an example of that sort of sense of being rushed and not having the sort of the the synergy that you kind of want. To have this romantic comedy coming together, like in 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 the Big Sick, it was uh, uh, Raymond. Um, oh, I forgot the actor's name. Everybody loves Raymond. Uh, you know his character and uh, Camille Nanjiani, uh, kind of being together. That's that has that kind of that sort of moment where you just feel those that you know. Can we well, say that's, that, that's we a said better movie thing, in my opinion? We we said that thing about the Big Sick is that the, the love story is between him and her parents you know that's what the love story is and, yeah. and that's where it's sort of beautiful and it just it wasn't here for me in this movie and i and it you know my my cold dead heart barely be you know fluttered and i think fluttering is kind of what's what's required in some respect i think to get shahir dowd's heart a flutter you also need to be incredibly technically skilled <laughs> i don't think that's it at a, I, do I, I, I really I think don't the think the road it's all. to your heart is paved with with uh, intricate technicalities, I and that's not a bad thing. I'm, that's, I, I, I'm not I, meaning I, that as an insult. No, no, I mean, I, I'm your, not, your I'm not tastes taking it as are a, refined. I, I'm not taking it as an insult. I don't think that's. I don't think it's that. That's the high bar that needs to be met. It's the kind of, it's the it's the balance of making sure that the the reason this film exists is to bring these two people together. I think it was, and I and and to me. This in the the it felt very very rushed and very um, uh, very hastily put together to do that. So I and that, that's uh, that's unfortunate. But okay, I uh, think the thing is this is this is the interesting part. I think you and I think from a technical level and from a storytelling level, this film is the exact same thing. Yeah, but we're but we've as we do. Yeah, uh, we we are we're having differing of opinions whether or not. That makes it fine or not? Not fine or not? What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's it's. It, I guess, but then it's like, does it just come down to like well, you we even, enjoyed you, it? You, no, well, here's the thing: you even said that you wouldn't have a conversation about this. Sure, but and, I can watch a film and enjoy it and not have a conversation about it. But we're having a conversation about sure. it. Sure. And, and in order to have a conversation about it, I think we have to uh, have a dissection of, wh- of whether the film functions or not. And I, that and what I'm saying is like, but yeah, functions you, as what? The ability to have a conversation about no, 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 it. No, no, We're function, doing that right now. So functions check. as a romantic comedy. I think it does. And I and I and I think it kind of misses the mark there. Ah. Um, and but a couple of you know I, I don't want to be too negative on it because you know there's that thing about like um, uh, not punching down. I guess I'm not sure if we're punching down, we're, but like we we've been over this. We can't punch we down. Can't punch. We are the lowest rung. We are the it. lowest rung because we're the only. I don't want to beat up on a movie. Movies. Is what I is what I'm saying. Yeah. But the things I uh, the th- there was a moment that I like. That I loved in this movie that is an example of elegant execution, but I just wish it was a different character doing this thing. Um, which was there was a moment where they go to uh, uh, some uh, a little kid's birthday party. Yeah, I think the the cousin's birthday party. And the opening shot of that moment. Do you recall what the opening shot was? 
She is with the family? No. Uh, Did you see, it was a single take where we travel up through the house. We follow two kids going through the house, and then we travel through the house as they go, and, yes. and, and then into the backyard. Yes. Did you catch what was really important about that scene? Uh, that they messed up where they were going? No, that they took their shoes off. Oh wow! That the and this is the, this is the this is what I loved about that moment because I instantly recognized what was happening in that scene, which was that the characters walked up to the door, they take their shoes off, we see them run through the house, they get to the back door, put their shoes back ah! on, and then go out. And it was like, I you know this is you like if you go to an Indian house for example, like it's very you always take your shoes off, yeah. like it's a thing, you know. Like there's a lot of elements of this film that live in that world that I am somewhat familiar with. I, yeah, like, I feel like I only caught like maybe 10 to 15% of, of those types of things. And you know, like it's, it's, the, it's the little things like the idea that the parents, uh, like, like I, I loved the moment when uh, Ali Wong's parents um, said that they paid full price for dinner. That that is like like I understood what that what how big a deal that was because if you're like if if my parents uh, if I owned a restaurant and my par my parents would the, I guess there's a thing in Asian uh, Asian diaspora families where there's an expectation upon the children that you look after your parents sure. uh, as you get older. It's it's not only and that goes beyond personal. That goes to like like actual like oh if you have a business like yeah you have a restaurant yeah we eat there for free you eat there for free yeah, yeah exactly it would be it to the point it's not like uh, it's not even an expectation it's ingrained in the way we think kind of thing that's you an know? expectation uh it, you're trying to say it's no, beyond expectation it's beyond it's culturally normalized in a way that that is more like um if you went over to someone's house you would use the fork and knife uh, at the dinner table kind of thing you know like it's a given yeah you know like and and to the point where it would feel weird if i didn't do that yeah um, and, and the point there was that, you know, like she has this restaurant, it's very famous. Of course her parents are going to eat there for free. Um, and they come and they say, no, we, here's a receipt. We paid full price. And I was like, I get it. You know, I, sure. I, I love that. You know? I, I liked though. And, uh, that even like Randall's father, again, <laughs> like they were just, uh, or, or isn't it characters, Marcus? Yeah. Uh, they were just like friends. Yeah. I did. And, and like, that's a, that's an, um, an element of. Uh, very rarely is that played either in Asian American characters or really in a lot of different characters played not for a joke when just the father and son are like together and they're like buddies. Yeah. That, and that, not like in like a this is unhealthy or like the dad's in arrested <laughs> development type thing or like stuff like that or vice versa. Yeah. This was just like, yeah, these are two men who went through a tragedy together and they're they're they enjoy each other's companies, they have a business and they want the best for each other. Yeah, it's and you know, and like I guess that the the sort of level of caring for your dad is like the you know, he says I am my dad's caregiver and his dad's like, like I don't need I don't a need a caregiver. But yeah. it's like that thing where you kind of are expected not expected, but it is part of, you know, like the relationship that you form with your parents is yeah. is kind of bound in that way. Um and and I think that that was lovely. Like I, I just love the the line Ooh, there's a lot of dead skin on your face right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went and got massages together. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. See, the more... This is the weird part. Yeah. This, and this will probably be me wrapping up. Yeah. The more I talk about this movie, <laughs> the more I like it. Right. Uh, and... <laughs> but, but I don't think the film itself does a lot in its own argument for people to talk about it after seeing it. Now, right. again, I, I just want to say I had a good time. I got what I expected from it. I would I would watch more films from everyone involved in this thing, hoping that maybe they, you know, from a technical aspect, learn a thing or two and then go back and make something even better. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say it is worth your Netflix time if you are looking for a rom-com. I would equate it to kind of, kind of thinking about it like in the way that um, we got from Jordan Peel and uh, uh, you know we got from Keanu to get out and like, you know what I mean like like <laughs> this right. is this is the first stab and is it okay to kind of like you know like that article from the New York Times is it okay to kind of fail and I you know failure is too harsh a word yeah I don't think this but, fails at all but but you know like it's just there there's not a to me there was not a lot of there there and and um and you know like if if this can be the stepping stone that gets us to somewhere that is there. I'm I'm Fair. down for that. Fair for there. Yeah. Uh, it, it set a bar <laughs> for me, and it hit that particular bar. You you definitely did uh, high jump at the lowest level, skill level, didn't you? In in high school. If it got me the grade <laughs> I needed, <laughs> fuck yeah. This has been the only podcast about the film 
always be my maybe. Do do do. I've never, uh, <laughs> I've never heard anyone do that. Do 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 do. <laughs> Shahir, when you are not just punching down left and right at every film we discuss on this podcast, just destroying its teeth, sending it to dentist work for the eons to come, making dentistry bills so intensely large that it just destroys all fathoms of human numerical concept. Where can folks find you? I think what you established in the podcast is I'm actually punching myself because we are the lowest rung. <laughs> uh, the lowest rung being my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are not giving me one of the most passionate, passionate endings to a romantic podcast that I have ever heard, where can people find you? Maybe you can find me at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, N-P-S-N, and Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please go check out uh, the wonderful works we are doing over Extra Credits on uh, YouTube. Uh, we are releasing a bunch of, we're releasing a Japanese myth uh, this week, uh, Akuna Nushi, the mm-hmm. Akuna Nushi tale. Uh, and we are uh, dropping some other stuff. Ooh, ooh, next week, next week we're doing save scumming. Do you know what save scumming is, Shahir? I think you've described it to me. And Don't worry yeah. about it. You'll love it. I'm uh, sure I will. And then what are we doing next week? Do we know what we're doing next week? Um, I'm actually out of town. And you know what's funny is I'm going to be in L.A. and the new Beverly is playing a, pr- a 35 millimeter print of Once Upon a Time in the West. So I would love it if we could do that. But uh, I don't know if we're going to get time to do that. Otherwise, uh, I would love to catch it. There are no lists. Then three movies on Netflix that I kind of want to check out, and I feel like we're becoming the Netflix show because of we last gotta week. Stop that. See you yesterday was our was our Netflix film. The uh, I would love to do um, the perfect uh, the perfection. I think it was with the perfect. Or, uh, I can't remember the title if, of the movie. And I am Mother are the two movies that I really would like to check out. If we do three Netflix films in a row, do we instantly get a deal with Netflix? Yeah. Uh, I think after my comments on this episode, probably not. Uh, I, was gonna, I was hoping <laughs> it was kind of a Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice situation. Um, uh, but, you know. If you say Netflix backwards, Ixelnet, Ixelflit, Ixelniff. We'll work on that. <laughs> and uh, we'll let you know. We'll tweet maybe what we're doing uh, this week. And until then, uh, thank you for listening. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or onlymoviepod on Twitter. Let us know what you thought of hey. Always Be My Maybe. Maybe we are your maybes. Maybe we are. Maybe we are. We probably are. are. I'm winking. I'm winking really hard. Can you hear it? Wait, I'm going to put my eye next to the microphone. Is that your romantic gesture? I need my grand romantic gesture. I'm doing it. Mm, It's really small. (laughs) 